Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Houston Astros. And to do that, we are joined by Ben Badler. Ben took over the Astros Prospect Handbook Chapter for us this year. Ben, the Astros have had a very up and down year, to say the least. Uh, it was less than one calendar year ago that news of their sign stealing scandal broke. That was followed by the one-year suspensions and ultimately the firings of general manager Jeff Lunau and manager A.J. Hinch. Dusty Baker was brought in to be the manager. James Click was brought in to be the GM. ton of turnover at the top in a very short period of time. The team really struggled through the shortened 2020 season, finished under 500, but they caught fire in the playoffs, took the Rays to game seven of the ALCS, where one went away from becoming only the second team to overcome a 3-0 deficit. So that was the up, but now it's kind of back down again. They've lost George Springer in free agency. He's reportedly signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. Justin Verlander's going to miss all of 2021 after having Tommy John surgery. Zach Greinke and Carlos Correa, their contracts are up at the end of 2021. And just to be frank, there's not a lot of talent coming in this farm system. They were bolstered by the ascension of Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, and Jose Urquidy on the pitching side the last two years, but... It's going to take a lot more. When you look at the Astros right now, and just given who they have, who they lost, what's in the farm system, the question is, especially after being stripped of their first and second round picks, both in 2020 and 2021, how long is it going to be before another up cycle happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they can still, you know, you know, they made the playoffs, obviously, <laughs> uh, some, some caveats to that, but I, I think they can still continue to stretch it out. I mean, they are losing players. Like you said, I think they still have a pretty good core of, of a lineup in there and, and, and the pitching staff, I think, you know, you mentioned guys like Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, like Jose Arquiti, uh, you know, Enoli Paredes coming up out of the, the bullpen this year. Like they, they do have, you know, these young homegrown, you know, especially on the pitching side, guys who are coming up and, and helping. And like, you know, obviously Forrest Whitley is like, the wild card of, of all wild cards uh, right now. And, and guys like Brian Abreu and, um, you know, and, and Luis Garcia guys who I think can, can make a, a difference there, but, but yeah, I mean, obviously you're right. Like it's not, they're, they're, they're losing, you know, some of their, their top players that, you know, they should get Jordan Alvarez back though. I think that, you know, can, can be a big boost for them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's not you know what it was you know a couple of years ago where they they had one of the best farm system in in baseball to go with this you know really good major league club as well now it's all right you know there's there's players who I think can make an, an impact at the major league level there's um, you know especially a lot of arms who, who throw really hard but definitely the the farm system is is uh, you know certainly among the the lower tier in the league at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I think for 2021, you can sketch out a scenario where they remain competitive. When you look at, you're still going to have Correa, you're still going to have Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker took a step forward last year, Jordan Alvarez, if he's healthy, comes back. You look for bounce backs from guys like Yuli Gurriel and Jose Altuve in a normal season. So I still think there is some potential there. And as we mentioned, you do have Zach Greinke plus those three young arms. Lance McCullers is back. He pitched well in his first year back from TJ. So I do think 2021, there's a chance they're still competitive. But I think looking more into 2022-2023, after Greinke's gone, if Correa leaves as Altuve continues to get older, I do think that's where you're going to start to see the need for reinforcements. And it's not clear, especially on the position player side, if they have those reinforcements. But at the same time, we do need to give credit. I think one of the more interesting developments for the Astros is the ascension of these three pitchers. And I do think that is something that's encouraging moving into the 2020s, particularly when you look at a farm system that right now, the strength is almost entirely on the pitching side. Yeah, and I think you look up and down their farm system, too, and, like, they just have a whole bunch of guys where, you know, I think even people who follow prospects are, are like, who is this guy? Oh, he throws, like, 99 miles. <laughs> like, they, they have a lot of guys who've, who've added velocity. Uh, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to their pitching development program, but also, you know, one of the things all those guys <laughs> who, who you mentioned, you know, Valdez and Christian Javier and Urquidy, uh, you know, I would extend that to like Luis Garcia, Brian Abreu, Paredes too. Like all of these guys came from their international program, from their Latin American scouting department. And all those guys signed for like practically nothing. <laughs> like, you know, these were, you know, a few of those guys were $10,000 signs, like Luis Garcia, like 20K, Brian Abreu, 40 grand. Um, you know, these were small signings, some of them older too, like, like Framber Valdez signed when he was 21, like in in the Dominican Republic, that's, you know, it's like, it's ancient. I mean, it's the age of a college junior, right? Like it's not uh, particularly old by, you know, signing players out of the draft, but not by any means, but in the Dominican Republic, like if it's, you know, the players 18, 19, that's, that's definitely on the, on the older end of things. And, and they've done a really good job of, of identifying these under the radar type pitchers in Latin America for very little money uh, who they've signed and developed into, you know, as we're seeing now, like really good major league players and, and pretty good prospects who are right on, on the cusp of, of helping them. Now they know they have guys in the, in the draft too, like, uh, you know, Sean Dubin, Jeff Canine, like these guys who are later round draft picks who, who we've seen trend up too. So I, I think it's a combination of both scouting and, and player development, but uh, you know, obviously I cover Latin American signings for us. And uh, so I pretty keep, keep, keep pretty close tabs on, you know, how players are, are developing from, from each organization out of there. And uh, you know, a lot of teams do have, you know, these smaller dollar pitching prospects coming out of Latin America, but the uh, both the volume and, and the quality that the Astros have uh, from their Latin American scouting department uh, as far as these these pitchers is really sticks out to me among among other other organizations yeah no question they've certainly produced a lot of really interesting latin american arms in recent years i remember even talking about a guy like johan ramirez who i saw him pitch in fayetteville 2019 guy you've never heard of you watch him you're like there's some real stuff here he ends up getting taken in the rule five draft has a really nice rookie season for the mariners 
Uh, we saw them bring up a lot of guys to the lower levels last year. You mentioned Luis Garcia. You know, we saw guys like Humberto Castellanos, Nivaldo Rodriguez come up just due to injuries. They didn't perform particularly well, but just this idea they have this well of arms they can draw from. And then, of course, you know, the successes. You mentioned Paredes, uh, two American guys they acquired in trades. Andre Scrub and Blake Taylor came up and had some success as well. So uh, there's no question this is the strength of the Astros as you look toward the future a little bit, this pitching staff, whereas during the 2010s, the strength was the homegrown position side. They had to acquire the pitching. With that, you mentioned Forrest Whitley is kind of the biggest wild card as we dive into this farm system. I think the good news is just the way some things have developed around him, they no longer need him to be the number one starter who leads their rotation for the next decade. If it happens, great, but you have McCullers coming back well from Tommy John. We talked about those three young starters. Where is Forrest Whitley? Because he was at one point considered the top pitching prospect in baseball, Injuries have sidetracked him the last two years. He didn't pitch a whole lot in 2020. What is Forrest Whitley's status? And realistically, what can the Astros expect from him at this point? I think you can expect a a wide range of outcomes, but I I think you made a great point that, like, you know, they're not counting on Forrest Whitley to anchor their rotation. I don't know that he – I'd probably be, in fact, surprised if he started the year in their starting rotation in Houston. I mean, they, they have a pretty full rotation, like even like a guy like Luis Garcia, like, you know, where does he fit in for them? And, and he was pretty good, I would say. Um, so they, you know, they're, they're like you said, they're not counting on him, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just such a wide range of, of outcomes for him. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, we've, I'm sure we've talked about this on every single podcast <laughs> we've done and, and every chat we've done of like, you know, just how much more uncertainty there is this year with, with all players, but uh, especially with Whitley, given his track record uh, of, you know, injuries, uh, suspension, um, you know, again, more, more, more arm problems this year. Uh, but, you know, at his best and and including you know this past summer when he was looking really good at the alternate training site like you're looking at him and you're like man like if everything comes together for him like yeah there is the upside uh, the upside to be a front of the rotation starter but like realistically the last time we really saw him doing that was like a few years ago now uh like in in you know at least in like regular season games so uh, it's, it's been a while, uh, but at the same time, he's also not like, it's not like he's that old. <laughs> we've, we've just been really high and I, a lot of people have just been really high on him for a while. But at, at this point, I, I certainly think his, his stock has, has dropped to, you know, the point where, you know, for me, I, I feel like he's a, you know, we have him in the back of our top 100. I, I personally feel like he's more of like a, a borderline top 100 type of guy. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, struggled next next year or, or you know, had, had other issues. Like, there's just so many different <laughs> outcomes for him that, that could happen where, yeah, maybe he, you know, turns turns things around like, uh, you know, like a Lucas Giolito uh, or, or like we saw, you know, Roy Halladay do. Um, you know, obviously it was after he got to the big leagues and, and got sent down, but you know, we have examples of, of guys who, you know, have kind of hit this, you know, and those guys are both, you know, six, six plus pitchers too. Um, so, you know, we, we do have examples of, of these guys who seem to have, you know, 
hit a wall despite being really, you know, really talented and then figured it out later on. So I, I think that's certainly possible for him, but like at, at a certain point, you just, I mean, you, you got to see more results and, and you, you hope he can, he can just stay healthy. So I, you know, I, I wish I could speak with much certitude on, on what to project for Forrest Whitley, you know, either in 2021 or, or long-term, but I, I think he's such a, a high variance guy and just such an unusual pitcher to, to try to project as, especially just given the context of um, you know, of, of what happened in 2020. Yeah. He was shut down with arm soreness. What can you tell us about his status? Cause at this point health is kind of the biggest driver here of what's realistically possible with him. Yeah. I mean, he, he got shut down at the end of the alternate training site. And I think they, you know, there was some thought that maybe he could come back and pitch an instructional league, but uh, he didn't do that. So that stands out. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what exactly to, to expect. I mean, I, I, I certainly hope he shows up healthy in spring training, but there's still, still a lot of uncertainty there. Given all that uncertainty, he is still the number one prospect in the Astros system. How much of that is a reflection of just lack of other options versus what he brings to the table? What was that discussion and that debate like ultimately with evaluators, both inside and outside the system? Yeah, that was, uh, you know, like you said, some, some of it does come down to a lack of, of other options. Uh, I do like Luis Garcia. Uh, I think he's, you know, especially that changeup is, is just such a, a filthy pitch for him at, at times, um, I, I think he has a chance to be, uh, you know, just I don't know exactly what his role is going to be in 2021, but I think he has the upside to be uh, a mid-rotation starter. Uh, certainly, the you know, seeing the success of some of the other recent homegrown uh, international signs who've come up and pitched in that rotation gives me even more um, optimism there. So I, you know, I think it was a at one point considered putting Luis Garcia ahead of him. I think as a staff generally, we felt, you know, better about putting Forrest Whitley ahead of him. And, and, you know, if one of them was going to be in the top 100, I think more people, it seems like we're leaning toward Forrest Whitley, but, you know, by, you know, <laughs> you know, well, by mid season, I think probably Luis Garcia will have uh, graduated anyway, but, uh, you know, if, you know, if, if, if we're, I, th I think we'll get a lot more information on Forrest Whitley during the, uh, you know, hopefully we have a, a semi normalish season this year, but uh, we'll have a lot more confidence, I think, in, in Forrest Whitley's projection once we uh, see him or, or if we don't see him, that gives us a lot more uh, information during the 2021 season. You make an interesting point about Luis Garcia, just how impressive he was. He was excellent at the Class A levels in 2019, but to make the jump from the Class A levels straight to the majors and come in and, and hold his own again, it wasn't a huge sample. It was only 12 and a third innings, but he really held his own. And then really critically, I just remember being very impressed. I was covering the ALCS in San Diego and watching him go out in game five and just start the game off with two scoreless innings. It was just impressive, again, for a kid of his experience level in that pressure situation to go out, just get the job done calmly and pretty efficiently. He did allow two walks, but he didn't allow any hits. It was just – it was impressive. So I think anytime you see 
the performance, you add the moxie and the poise, it's impressive. And, and I do think he is someone to watch. And when we talk about this Astros system not being very good, that doesn't mean it's empty. I think you have talked about Whitley and where there's reason to still be optimistic on him. We see taller right-handed starters, especially. It can take a while for everything to click. You have a guy like Garcia. Uh, we'll get into some other guys in this system. So it's not empty. And realistically for the Astros, given some of the guys you have at least through 2021, it's a useful group, I think is the best way to say it. Yeah. And, and Luis Garcia, I mean, you said it, uh, I mean, it's, you know, 92 to 97 and, and the change up he's throwing is, is getting, he got a lot of swing and miss in the minors uh, and, he, and he, you know, he can get a lot of swing and miss just off that change up to, to lefties, to righties. I mean, he's, he's making a mistake on it. I mean, his, his command needs to improve, but like even when he throws that pitch and like leaves it up, over the plate guys were swinging and missing it sometimes. So that's the, that's a sign of a, a really, really good changeup. All right, Ben, I want to dive deeper into this farm system, but first a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back with Ben Badler breaking down the Astros farm system. Take us through this next group. How much debate was it? And, and ultimately how did it shake out the way it did? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, after I, I think Jeremy Pena kind of separated himself. I mean, he, he had a really good winner uh, to play in, playing in the Dominican Republic. Uh, certainly no questions about his, his defense. Uh, a lot of good reviews on him there. Uh, he's, he's really bulked up and, and added a lot of strength. Uh, you know, I don't expect him to be like a huge power guy, but he's, you know, he's, he's gotten stronger being able to drive the ball with the, a little bit more impact while, while maintaining his, his athleticism and his, his range and his agility at, uh, at shortstop. And I think, you know, people were maybe more of a split camp on his, on his bat coming out of the draft, but uh, he's, he's performed well uh, so far. So I think he, you know, he, he stood out, but yeah, then, you know, it's kind of like, depending on your, your preference, you could go a, a whole bunch of different ways uh, on, on these guys, whether you're, you know, looking for, um, you know, the young arm, uh, like, like an Alex Santos or, you know, somebody like Brian Abreu, who is like right there, but obviously struggled at, uh, you know, the major league level and, and kind of, you know, lost the trust of, uh, Dusty Baker. It, it seems like during, during the 2020 season. So, uh, or, or some of these, you know, more recent draft picks like, uh, Corey Lee or, uh, you know, Colin Barber, who was, was pretty good this year uh, out at the um, out at the alternate site once he got out there uh, and then instructional league too. So, uh, and then you have just, you know, like we were talking about this, you know, wave of, of pitchers who, who throw pretty hard, uh, many of whom have, uh, you know, starter, uh, you know, profile type questions. Uh, I think that's maybe where like, you know, somebody like Alex Santos separates uh, separates himself from that group, even though he's obviously younger and, and further away from uh, from the big leagues compared to some of these other guys. But I, I you know, I feel like uh, a lot of upside with him, and, and probably more of a chance to uh, you know to remain a starter compared to um, you know somebody like a uh, Hunter Brown or, or or some of the other you know real hard throwing guys in the organization who who have really big big stuff. But uh, you know, some more questions about their you know their their future role. Yeah, I want to circle back to Pena real quick because one of the more interesting developments to me just in speaking with evaluators at Instructional League, and you alluded to it, was 
his strength gains at the plate. This is someone who has always been very, very highly regarded as a defender at shortstop. Uh, he has big league bloodlines. There's a lot to like there. It was just a lot of concern about if it was going to be too light of a bat. And seeing how he's developed, all of a sudden, I think this is a guy that goes from, you know, maybe he's a utility guy to, hey, maybe this could be a starting shortstop in the major leagues. Now, again, it probably is more of a bottom of the order type of everyday shortstop, but good defender, contact skills, you feel comfortable throwing out there every day. There is value there. And I just thought that, again, looking at kind of the big picture for the Astros, what happens next, having a position player like that take a step forward in the way he did, it just seemed like one of the more intriguing developments from a farm system perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think especially, like you said, you, you look at the, like, who are the position players who are going to be able to help them soon? Like, you know, I, I think Chaz McCormick has some, you know, sneaky potential in there, but but there's not, like you said, there's not a lot of, like, upper-level bats who you can really count on to come up and and help. And, you know, not like the Astros need a ton of help in, in uh, you know, in the, in their middle infield or, or just in their infield in, in general. But I, I do think, yeah, Jeremy Pena is definitely – brought brought his stock up uh in the last couple of years since he was drafted it's yeah he got you know we, we talked about how he got stronger but i think also just his his swing he, he's he's made some improvements to his swing where you know i think if you watch you know i saw him in the cape in uh college and you know it was a very you know kind of like handsy type you know throw your hands at the ball type of swing i think in pro ball he's made some adjustments to you know just get his get his lower half into the ball better uh, you know, just do a better job of using his whole body into his swing for a guy who, you know, does, you know, make pretty frequent contact now with the added strength and, and, and the swing that's, you know, where he's able to now, you know, become, you know, it's just more of an explosive swing that, that kind of incorporates his whole body. So you combine that with the strength gains that he has uh, and you're starting to see him, you know, be able to, you know, I don't think he's going to be a 30 plus, Homer guy, I'll, you know, some of it maybe <laughs> depends on what kind of baseballs we're using, but um, but I do think we're, you know, you're seeing those adjustments and, and that work that he's put in on the strength and conditioning side uh, pay off for him at the plate. So we talked about this. I think it's an interesting top three, especially when you just kind of look at it from the outside looking in. The four to 10 group, again, we're talking about guys who I think it's more of a maybe, but all it takes is one or two of those guys to pop. You mentioned Colin Barber did some good things. We've talked about Corey Lee as definitely a potentially impactful defender behind the plate. I know there's some questions about the bat and what that's going to look like, but again, you have a solid catching prospect you like. Tyler Ivey showed some good things. I saw him pitch for Bowie's Creek, and there's definitely something interesting there. So there are some interesting guys here. No one would be confused for a top-level prospect, and no one would consider this the deepest system, but... There are some candidates. Beyond this top 10, what are we looking at? Because it does feel like this is a system that the depth does fall off a good bit. Just looking through the top 30 as it comes out in the prospect handbook, it did seem like once you hit a certain point, it was a lot of maybes. You know, if this, then that, then possibly is the best way I would describe a lot of these prospects. Yeah, I think with a lot of them, like you said, it's... You see like, you know, one or two things that you like and, and maybe even that you like a lot, but also with a lot of like risk factors <laughs> and red flags there that, uh, you know, these guys are going to have to address and, you know, a lot of things will have to 
you know, break right for him, whether it's, you know, like Zach Daniels, who's, you know, probably the extreme of that, where like he probably has the best tools and athleticism in the system. You know, he was their fourth round pick last year out of Tennessee. I mean, this guy runs, I think I saw him run like a six three six last year. He's, you know, crazy fast. He he's got plenty of bat speed. He's like, you know, built like a free safety. Uh, he's got a lot of power too. Uh, you know, pro- yeah, I think he's the best power in, in, in the system. Not that they have like a, you know, a ton of like huge, huge thumpers or anything, but like, you know, really exciting combination of explosiveness, athleticism, power, speed. And then you look at like his numbers at Tennessee and then the Cape and it's like brutal, <laughs> except for, you know, early in the 2020 season where like he was actually like really good. But, you know, obviously, like the season shut down right before SEC play started. So, like, you didn't really get to see him tested there. So, like, yeah, like you, you love the tools, but there's like a ton of risk in in the bat. Like, Jairo Solis is is really uh, interesting. And, and the Astros added him to the Rule 5. But, like, he's still kind of coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, there's just a whole bunch of guys. Uh, you know, Jordan Brewer, like another, like, good athlete. Uh, but he, you know, he was hurt last year. Didn't you know, really didn't play anywhere at all. Like, uh, you know, you can go deeper into the the system and you know see a guy like Juan Santander, uh, a catcher they signed out of Venezuela in their 2019 class, who's like you know big physical catcher has I think has a chance to develop into like a really good prospect. But he also didn't come over for instructional league last year. He was at Dominican instructs only. Hasn't played a game yet. Like there's there's a lot of guys in in the system like that, or you know, like a you know Johansi Torres who, you know, throws a hundred miles an hour, but it's you know doesn't quite know <laughs> uh, where it's going, and then more likely is going to be a reliever, I, I think. So yeah, there's a lot of different guys in the system where like yeah, I can I can see a lot of these guys like turning into big leaguers, but a lot of different things are are going to have to uh, break right for them to to get there. Given the lack of a first and second round pick in the 2020 draft, and given the lack of a first and second round pick in the 2021 draft, what do the Astros need to do in order to essentially keep the pipeline flowing as best they can? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, in the draft, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, we just went over our, our top 100, right? And it was what, how many how many draft picks were like after the third round? I think it was like, like the third round. I think it was like three guys. Right. So like, you know, a lot of your impact players in the draft and, you know, we don't exactly know what the draft is even going to look like, but like, yeah, that's a pretty harsh penalty to, to be losing that. Uh, I think the Astros have, you know, found some, you know, we mentioned Colin Barber was a a fourth round pick. Uh, I think he's a really interesting guy as a, a fourth round pick and, and you have players uh, you know, they've had, they've picked up some interesting pitchers like, uh, you know, Sean Dubin and, and Canine who were, I think in, you know, after the 10th round. So, you know, they have some track record of, of finding some interesting guys, I think in, in the later rounds, but it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be limited. Obviously the, the Latin American program is going to be important for them to keep, you know, bringing players in, uh, from, from there, but yeah, it's, 
it's uh, there's there, there's definitely going to be uh, you know I think limited in, in terms of you know especially if they're going to you know be in uh, you know a playoff contender they're, they're you know even those later round picks are going to be even later in those rounds so there's there's definitely going to be some uh, you know difficulties trying to kind of rebuild that that farm system given the, the restrictions that they're under. Yeah, I mean, I think just to be frank, they have to sign Carlos Correa to a long-term deal after next season. I think if they don't do that, they will not have enough to stay competitive in the major leagues while they rebuild this farm system and get some more talent in there. Again, this is going to take a few years. And again, I want to make very clear, the reason this farm system is down is for all the right reasons. They graduated a tremendous, absolutely tremendous homegrown talent group to the majors, Altuve, Bregman, Correa, Springer, McCullers, stud after stud after stud after stud. On top of, again, we just talked about some of the pitchers who came up last year, years past, they brought up some guys at key moments as well. And then you just look at a lot of the prospects they traded to go get impact major leaguers. I actually went back and looked from 2015 on, you can put together almost a major league roster of players. The Astros traded as prospects or young big leaguers to go get players that help them in the short term. I mean, just the pitching staff alone, Mike fulton Joe Musgrove, Vince Velasquez, Adrian Hauser, Trent Thornton, Patrick Sandoval, Daniel Mangdon, Thomas Eshelman, those are just the starters. And then you go into the bullpen, obviously led by Josh Hader, guys like Jorge Alcala, who had a really good year for Minnesota, Jorge Guzman, Hector Perez, guys like that. And on the position player side, they've had and traded Domingo Santana to Oscar Hernandez, Ramon Laureano, J.D. Davis made it to the majors with the Astros, but was traded as a young big leaguer as well. So they've had a tremendous group of talent that they've successfully brought to the majors. They traded a bunch of other guys to go get players to help them win. And they did that. They reached four consecutive American League Championship Series, two World Series. Obviously, the science-stealing scandal has put a damper on things. But regardless, there's been a tremendous run of major league success here. So they did everything you're supposed to do with a great farm system. And now it's just time to backfill it. In the meantime, they should still at least be competitive in 2021. And that should help buy them a little more time to backfill the system and get them some more guys to help them. Although, again, without having a first and second round pick this year, that becomes more difficult. Yeah, I think, uh, like, like you said, without the draft picks, I mean, <laughs> sp- spending money is, uh, you know, <laughs> spending money on players is usually a good idea, right? Like whether it's, you know, obviously you're limited on what you can do now in, in the draft and you're limited on what you can do internationally. So if, you know, you spend the money on those major league players is, is generally a, a wise idea. Yeah, we'll see what they do the rest of free agency. Again, there's very clearly some holes in the outfield right now. And um, again, there's a lot of players still out there, so we'll see what they do. And in the meantime, we'll just keep an eye on this farm system, see if Forrest Whitley graduates, see what other guys pop up, and if they can get some more surprises. Because again, I mean, Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Jose Urquidy, all those guys were ranked. They weren't complete unknowns in the Astro system, but I think it's fair to say all of them have exceeded expectations. So all it takes us a couple guys to do that. And maybe we look back a few years from now and maybe this Astros farm system is better than we thought it was. It's always possible. That always happens. And now we just have to see how it all shakes out. Ben, any final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, it's, it's a lot of, 
a lot of really good arms and, you know, you know, maybe some of them ended up getting traded too to, uh, you know, to try to supplement their, um, you know, their lineup. So I think that could be another possibility. So um, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, one, one, one other possible way that they could uh, go, not necessarily to, you know, rebuild the farm system, but to, uh, you know, even if, it, if it's for, you know, young major league talent is a, a way they could go to. So um, yeah, it's like we were saying, it's, the farm system is, is definitely uh, way down from, from what it was before, like you said, for a lot of the, the right reasons and in a lot of cases, uh, obviously some of them for the, the wrong reasons too, uh, for, for them losing their draft picks and all that. But, uh, but yeah, there's definitely some, some interesting guys here, but uh, definitely I think uh, the, the system is more on the, more on the lower tier right now. We'll see what they're able to do. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Thanks, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Ben Bowler, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.